Welcome to Democracy Ish. I'm Torre. And I'm Danielle Moody. And this is our 100th episode, and we're right on Juneteenth. And we want to talk about just the meaning of Juneteenth, which I think we started to talk about last week a little bit with the time travel and the sort of the way that we feel about the ancestors whose shoulders we stand on. And I mean, you know, this is just our lives would be unimaginable to them. And, um, you know, it makes me sad. It makes me proud. I've been watching Exterminate All the Brutes on HBO, which is just so powerful and really takes you into the roots of white supremacy and some of the reasons why their lives were the way they were. And I highly recommend that. Um, one of the things about Juneteenth that that always blows me away, it's not a specific day. It's meant to be not a specific day because they were not freed on a specific day, right? Mm-hmm. News took time to arrive in that period and i'm sure the white people were not dying to let them know as fast as possible that they were able to go um but just think about the tragedy of the government finally deciding okay we gotta we, we can't do this anymore we gotta let them go and it still takes weeks or months for the news to actually trickle down there was there were people who were free and not told and continued to work, even though the government had free. I mean, like just the whole life, the whole situation is tragic. But can you imagine that the government has finally capitulated and okay, you got to be freed, and yet nobody told you? Yeah, I just I think about that, and I I also get caught up in thinking about the loss of life that transpired during that time right? The people that were killed, right? That were murdered by their quote unquote masters during that time. Um, the lives that were, that were lost. And, you know, in, in this, I guess, what is it? The, the admission that we did this heinous thing, right? You were actually people and now you are, and now you are free. But I also think about free to do what exactly, right? We free to go where exactly, right? You have nothing. You came here in shackles as an enslaved person. Anything that you have on your body or in your shed or, you know, in, in these makeshift, uh, you know, slaved, enslaved quarters, like, isn't enough to survive on, right? You don't, like, at, at this point, I'm thinking to myself, You know, when we talked about time travel last week, it's like if you were to be dropped off in the year 3000, you have no idea what the currency is, how Mm -hmm. the economy works, Mm -hmm. um, how to do anything that in my mind that is like rolling up, you know, uh, in and around Juneteenth and saying, hey, you're free. And I'm like, great. uh, Now what? Um, And so I think about the anxiety. I think about the trauma. I think about how folks managed, again, to make something out of nothing. And that's why I always say that I believe that Black people um, are absolutely extraordinary. 
if you want to understand what the embodiment of grace looks like, right, and and strength, look at Black people. I mean, look you- at what you came from and what you have arrived into being at this current stage in the 21st century. I mean, it is it is unimaginable to say, okay, the the trauma, the deprivation, like all the all the shit you've been through. Now you're free. Here's nothing. You're f- free to go like, well, how I mean, I can't even imagine how did you get through the next days and weeks? You know, uh, uh, how are we supposed to do this? We have nothing. We have, you know, it wasn't like everyone was suddenly like handing them jobs. A lot of them (laughs) ended up working for the person who had been their slave master. And I'm sure that they weren't, you know, like, well, now we're going to respect you. Now we're going to give you good jobs. Now we're going to give you fair wages. Like, no, they were getting screwed by them yet again. Uh, So I, I, I just... You know, I, I cannot imagine how difficult the road was for them of like, you know, the world changes. OK, great. We don't have to stay here. On, but where are we going to go? What do we do? You know, Torrey, I often think about, too, like. What the and and I wish that I was a film. I wish I was a ta- like a talented filmmaker, because this is a story that I've actually never seen is. Imagine what things, imagine what this country would have looked like if the government at that time did actually give Black Americans 40 acres and a mule. Imagine if, in fact, we had created laws and policies to uplift these people that we had subjugated. I just wonder, in turn, just if, if nothing else, let's not even talk about racism or discrimination, like all of those things. But I think about what kind of wealth this, this we're already one of the wealthiest nations in the world based on the fact that we've built on the backs of black Americans. But I wonder how much more wealthy we could have been, right? Because discrimination, racism, white supremacy is costly, right? Like it, it, it costs money. And I, and I often think like, I would love to have seen somebody, Ava DuVernay or somebody write that script just to give us like it, uh, just a look into you know the imagination of what of what this country missed yeah. out on i mean the wealth is concentrated among them I, I i don't know that the country as a whole would be you know because they stand on our necks to look and be taller mhm mhm you know the country as a whole uh, you, you know, has all these f- people working for free and, uh, you know, cultivating, you know, the number one crop in the world uh, at that time in terms of cotton. But would the country have been, I mean, like you and I know, like morally speaking, the country would be better off. But like, I'm not sure they, they I don't know. You know, you think about the people like, the 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 man who taught Jack Daniels how to do yep yep you know his whiskey and how many people there are like that mm-hmm. who because of their station gave somebody some white person a million dollar business that they were able to take and run and you know 
I mean, 60 Minutes just had this piece on on the last slave ship and the people who are who who are descended from those who live in that area when the folks were freed they moved to a certain area perpetuated their traditions and their culture mm-hmm. but they lived on streets and patronized a lot of businesses that were owned by the children of the the old master and here comes anderson cooper talking to the descendants of the slaves and they're like we called the descendants of the slave master and they wouldn't talk to us and like you people stand on wealth derived directly from this slave master and you're like not only are we not going to give any of this up we're not even going to talk about it please go away like but isn't i mean but isn't that the place that we're in when we are talking about the fact that the Senate this week wants to unanimously approve Juneteenth as a fucking holiday. And at the same time, those same Republican politicians are doing everything within their power to erase critical race theory and defund public schools that want to teach it. So they're like, hey, Negroes, here's a holiday for you. I hope you I hope you enjoy your day off. But we're actually not going to do anything to ensure any critical analysis, because if we have analysis, you know what's coming next is reparations. Because the admission of the fuckery of the United States, then you have a case for, yeah. So now that you admit it and we're teaching it all of the ways in which you have robbed Black people of wealth from the moment from the moment they stepped foot on the shore, now you owe us something. And it's not a fucking holiday. Because you can keep, you can miss me with your holiday. What is the point of a Juneteenth holiday if we do not understand why it is a ho- slavery <laughs> like why it and the con- I mean, like Juneteenth commemorates the continuing effect of slavery on America and the fact that it remains something that we need to think about, honor, mm-hmm. you know. But but let's not talk about anything else. Just just this one, the fact of this one day, but erase the whole, I mean, you erase know. The le- erase the lead up to it and the after effects of it. But this, yes, let's have a day off. I saw this horrific video of some school board meeting where some white bully parent was demanding that everybody say the words, I reject critical race theory. And he's like, I want to hear them say it. And it didn't surprise me that the white people on the board were willing to capitulate. I mean, I, I was, I, I guess on some level I'm shocked that like none of them were like, um, excuse me, I, I have several degrees and like, what are you talking about? But even this black man was like, yeah, I don't believe in that. I don't want that taught. I don't, like, really? I mean, like, if we cannot stand up for this to help Americans see the direct connections between that and the way things, slavery, and the way things are today, then you have completely disrespected the ancestors. That you can't even stand up for the idea that we have to draw 
the connections because it's only the truth. I mean, it's only the truth. And I told you that this uh, over the weekend, I watched High on the Hog on Netflix. And the things that I learned through that series, like both make me proud and disgusted all at the same time. I just have this like this conflict of emotion that is inside of me these days where I'm both disgusted by this country and then just so overwhelmed with pride for the black people that survived, right? That could survive such treachery. So we learn in this series that, you know, cotton was not the only thing, the only industry, right? Like the only, the only product, but that if not for the skill set of enslaved West Africans to be able to cultivate rice growing in the United States, the Carolinas and the South wouldn't have fucking existed. And there would have been no product to then to disseminate like worldwide as we were building up as a nation. That literally it was the skill of enslaved Africans to cultivate the land because before they arrived, no one knew how to grow rice. And so it's like, you think about these stories, but yet if you teach these truths, right, then you're like, well, the question we're asking is, what did white people actually contribute? Because that's, that, but I'm not, I'm, and I say that, I'm not saying it in jest because we're learn, we learn through High on the Hog that the first major chefs in this country, right, that, that were created some of the biggest, some of our most traditional meals were enslaved Africans, chefs to George Washington and Thomas Jefferson. But somehow America, like, created this story ar- around Martha Washington being this great cook. And I'm like, bitch, from where? You, you never went into the kitchen, right? Like, I, I'm so, like, you're like the fucking Paula Dean. Of of that era. Like, what are you talking about? I, I love High on the Hog. Um, I love the discussion of our food and our, just the, 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 the relationship. It's one of my favorite things about the National Museum of African American History and Culture, that when you go to the cafeteria, they really take seriously this breakdown of, like, Southern yeah. cuisine, Western cuisine, Mid-Atlantic cuisine, and, like, really give our food um, a really complex... Uh, detailed history, but High in the Hog is really powerful. And they start in Africa. They don't start in the South. Mm -mm. They start in Africa where, of course, our food traditions begin. But so often our story starts in the South and then maybe they go back to Africa. Um, One of the things, you talk about the history and critical race theory and deeply understanding America because of the things that Black people in America and throughout the diaspora did, one of the things that blew me away in Exterminate All the Brutes is that it is the Haitian Revolution where they overthrew uh, their slave masters and created their own country that scared the French, that made them say, you know what, screw this America thing. And that motivated them to do the Louisiana Purchase and thus make America much larger and then it was able to become a world power without that america could probably be three different countries 
right? That were not yep. nearly as powerful as we've become. So, I mean, just the history of Haiti is not at all discussed in the history of America, but it is critical to America becoming the global power that it that it is. You know, if we just need to understand that, because especially you think about the way Haitians in particular have been disrespected in this country. And if we understood, right, like somehow Jamaica is this beloved island in the Caribbean, but Haiti is somehow not for some reason, which is completely arbitrary. But if we understood Haiti's massive impact on America becoming this uh, this global power, this gigantic country and a global power, we would have an entirely different relationship with Haiti and Haitian people. But the point is that the way that the world, not just the United States, but the way that the world treats Haiti is in consistent punishment for the audacity of those people to overthrow their white slave masters. There's a reason why Haiti has stayed impoverished, right? With broken government after broken government. And it is a punishment. Let me make an example of what happens. The reason why, I mean, Jamaica is upheld in in certain ways is because it was a colony, right? Of the fucking UK. So you have, oh, these are the good black people over here. These are the ones that we make an example of. The world has been making an example of Haiti throughout our entire history, just but we as, don't talk about just that. As, we, 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 we allow history to come through a white lens. And like the French Revolution is this, you know, and the American Revolution are important parts of the movement toward the, the modern world. But the Haitian Revolution is just not considered part of that. How is that not part of this global desire for people to rise up and control their own destiny? The Haitian Revolution is absolutely a critical part of that. Um, And as long as the history is only through a white lens, it's only through the victors, only through the ones who held the guns in their hands, um, we do not truly understand the reality that we've been through. No, and that's why critical race theory and these conversations and not just the expression of like toothless holidays, because that's what I believe that the Senate did, right? And and the House is going to pass it and they're all going to pat themselves on the back. Look at us. We did something for the blacks, right? Like this is what they're going to do. And it's a toothless holiday because if you don't understand how we got to this place and why Juneteenth matters, then what point? What is the point in a day off? Right. What is the What is the point in saying, oh, this is a holiday because you're not actually going to teach it. Right. Like, oh, it's a day of celebration. Oh, because, you know, the, the enslaved were now free and then everything was great. Like I can just imagine how it's going to be taught in elementary schools. Here, here's a pink crayons. Draw like a liberation flag. Yay. And then everything was great. We do no contextual understanding of how what happened impacts where we are. And the thing is, they don't want us to, right? Because the truth to them would then require action. It requires you to change. It requires you to expand. And they don't want that. 
This show is part of the Pro-Democracy Podcast Coalition. The midterms are coming and it's more important than ever that we protect and fix our elections. We all know that our government is broken. Politicians spend more time working for themselves, their big donors, and their political party instead of for us. We as Americans have had enough of the corruption, partisan bickering, and gridlock. Look, I get that all the nonsense makes you want to tune out, but I'm here to tell you there's reason for hope. Our political system is broken now, but we can fix it. That's why we've partnered with Represent Us, a nonpartisan grassroots organization that has helped notch more than 160 victories to improve our elections and give power back to the voters where it belongs. Right now until November, there are many, many ways you can get involved. Represent Us is working in cities and states to pass good government policies like ranked choice voting. And they're also recruiting folks to help staff the polls. Let's protect our elections now and for generations to come. Visit represent.us slash pod to learn more. That's represent.us slash pod. The right in this country is struggling to accept reality in almost every area. The election, immigration, climate Climate science, media, they are struggling to deal with or, or just rejecting outright reality. All over the, almost all the major things that they are behind are based on a fantasy. So now we're asking for them to take history and apply reality to it when we haven't been doing that throughout their lives. Of course, they are rejecting of that. But the thing that I am afraid of, the thing that I'm sure will happen next, is that the left will say, well, this is very controversial and the right (laughs) is not going along with it. And we need, maybe we need a better slogan or maybe we need to do this later. Maybe it's not the right time. Maybe it's not the right moment for this. Just the same way. So many people who are on the left are like, yeah, defund. Yeah. But like, we need a better slogan. Maybe we should just reform. We don't need the police. We can just make them a little better, right? And we're like, no, there's no reforming. We need to defund. That will get to an actual safe society. Um, They're going to be like, ooh, critical race theories become this boogeyman. Fox is always going on about it. We need to, like, move forward. That's too much. It's too sticky. It's too complicated. We're asking for reality to be taught when we talk about history, right? Most of the people who, who are against critical race theory could not define it. But we're talking about teaching reality. And if you're against reality, well, I, I mean, okay, now I guess I understand. But I mean, like, who are you really? But, you know, somebody said to me the other day that they believe that we are losing the fight just in general, right, of reality. We're losing the conversation in terms of critical race theory because we're arguing about it. We're presenting it as if, it, as if there is a debate to be had. And this is how the right constantly wins, right, with their framing and their messaging. And then we get caught up falling all over ourselves in defense mode when this isn't something to defend. It just is the truth. What what is critical race? Like I wouldn't I don't want to call it critical race theory. I said it's just the truth about America's founding, 
and the truth about where we are right now. And it is outside of the lens of white men. And so the question, what are you afraid of? We're afraid that, you know, American exceptionalism is a fucking lie. Because all yeah, these, you're all right. These, it all is. These lies have rushed in to explain the world instead of us understanding. I watched this video on TikTok, this professor put out. I made my kids watch it with me. And a lot of the listeners may understand this already, but the Federal Housing Association constructed homes in the 40s and 50s and barred developers from allowing black people to live in those new suburban homes. And they constructed uh, projects for black people to live in. Mm -hmm. And what that did was create, your home ownership is the core of building wealth for any family. So you have all these white families that are owning homes that are appreciating in value over the years that they're living in and they're building wealth that they can later sell the homes or take loans out in the homes, start a business, pay for college, help pay for the kids' first homes, whatever it may be. And the black families are not building wealth because they're living scrunched up in these projects that are not they're not owning and they're not building any wealth. And the professor also pointed out that quite often because they're not building any wealth, they don't have anything to pass on to their children and they may have to take care, spend their money taking care of their parents in their old age, thus depleting what they can give to the next generation, whereas white people are quite often not doing that. They're able to help the elder generation. The elder generation has something to fall back on when they get older and it's difficult. And the myth of our laziness our criminality, our lack of character is what has been has rushed into many white minds to explain why we're in the projects and yep. they're in the suburbs. But yep. no, the government engineered it this way. And yep. if you explain it, a lot of white people be like, that sounds crazy. Of course, that didn't happen. You're talking about a conspiracy theory. This is because- reality. Yeah, but much in the same way, and you posted this on on Twitter, much in the same way that white people have believed that, you know, the police are there to help them, right? The police uh-huh. are there to defend them, right? And 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 you know, and and cater to their needs and their safety, right? It's the same way that we have been lied to about what the government does. The government doesn't hurt people, Torre. The government helps people. And as a matter of fact, Republicans believe that the government helps people so damn much, right, that they feel the need to shrink it. So when you tell these truthful stories about, oh, you know, bombs being dropped in 1985 in Philadelphia, or you tell these real stories about why, you know, we are have housing projects and redlining and eminent domain and how black people's homes were stolen from them and all of these things. They're like, no, the government is our friend. It's called Uncle Sam for a reason. We all like our uncle, right? They couldn't possibly be the bad ones. That's how we lie to people. That's how you keep the lie fucking going. So if we teach the truth, then people are like, wait a minute. So we've legislated all of these lies to keep this certain sect of people down so that I could ascend? You mean my ascension isn't on my own fucking merit? I mean, the 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 insult 
to injury is that one of the core myths of the right is that white people work hard and don't ask anyone for help. <laughs> Indicting <laughs> black people as like, look, all you guys do is ask is that- for help in the way uh-huh. of welfare and uh, Medicaid and what have you. But white people, you already got your help. You got your suburban welfare in terms of the FHA helping your grandparents buy homes that were the cornerstone of the wealth that was created for your parents and for you. And shit, man, at the level of the younger uh, millennials, your great-grandparents, right? So this has been building through four or five generations for a lot of people. And we've been completely cut out of that wealth-building process. And yet you're like, why are you guys asking the government for handouts? Uh, (laughs) And it's like, motherfucker, all you did was have your handout. From the GI Bill to FHA to all of it. All of it, the New Deal, all of it was created to create the white middle class. How do you create the white middle class? By denying black and brown people their fair share. And let me tell you something, fair ain't 50-50, right? Because if we want to be real, right, you owe us fucking more than you owe anybody else. So no, I actually don't want things divided down the fucking line. Somebody said if white people paid us what they really owe us, they'd be broke. Broke. (laughs) Broke and mad. Oh, my God. You know, but I also think about, I listen to a lot of podcasts about money. And a lot of people who have money talk about it as um, acquiring it as a skill. And if Mm. they were suddenly uh, robbed of all their money and even placed in a new country, within a certain period of time, they would be able to acquire it again because they know how to acquire it. Whereas other people, a lot of us black people, aren't given the financial education to where if we were given money, and we see this a lot of time with athletes and other rappers, other sorts of lottery winners, life lottery winners, that we're given a lot of money and we don't know how to finesse that to keep it and we end up losing it. And, and you know, I understand there's a lot of athletes and rappers in later generations, the more recent generations, who have completely known how to diversify yeah. and create yep. businesses and, and invest in things, Nas, Jay-Z, on and on. Uh, you know, to create gigantic amounts of wealth for themselves. And that's fantastic. You know, Magic Johnson, et cetera. But a lot of athletes, a lot of rappers go broke shortly after the- Their careers the, are done. The, the mm-hmm. career, the faucets. And it's because we are not given access to the financial education that mm-hmm. would allow us to perpetuate having money just basic notions like investing like spending less than you make like preparing for the future if every dollar that you get is a dollar that you earned then Mm -hmm. you will one day be broke right like Mm -hmm. you know and just even the notion and i understand it but like the notion that we have to show others how much we have through our expenditures 
we need, and I understand why a lot of black people feel like that. But like, you know, I especially over the last year have come around to saying like, you know, I don't need to do that. I've had, and I don't say this to flex, I have had five or six. <laughs> oh, I've said, but the I've fact been, that you have to make a caveat no, 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 means no, no, a flex no. is coming. Like five, I, I mean, like I should be embarrassed. I've had like five or six BMWs in leases in a row. Because, mm-hmm. you know, you want to look, you want to pull up, you want to look like, you know, you're doing good. I am turning in my, 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 my current BMW, right? My lease is up in November. I may turn it in early. And getting a Volkswagen. Because to me, the ha- paying half or less per month is way more attractive than pulling up in a BMW. You know what's funny? I used to not understand the 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 joke around you know uh, oh what would happen if you gave black people reparations? Right, they're going to run like the Cadillac dealership will become like the number one you know thing. It was like this you know, inside joke, but then also like when white people said it was just racist. So, but then (laughs) I learned, right. As we like, we're like, where do these things come from? Like the little, the little extraness or the, the flash, right. The swag that black people have. Do you know that I learned that it was illegal for black people to own a Cadillac and it didn't matter how much money you actually had that you were not allowed to buy one. For quite some time, I want folks to Google this information I know, because right? How could Cadillac I, have because I, this? because I discovered it. And so when it became legal, right, what is a sign of success? The car, right? And the type of car, right? When all you've been given is nothing, when you amass something, you do want to be able to fucking show it. Right. And like, so I, 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 it, I understand, you know, those that do ascend to, to considerable wealth, you know, like, like real, real, like money is that they want the chains and they want the, this, I'm just like, go ahead, be as flashy as you want, but make sure that that house that you're buying is paid up. Make sure that you're putting some of that money in some investments. Make sure that like the Jay-Z's and the Nas's of the world and the LeBron James's of the world are your, you know, your mentors, right? So that you can hold on to those earnings. But I understand the desire because when people either look past you because they tell you that you're nothing, that when you do get something, you're like, motherfucker, look at me, right? Like, so I, I get the desire to to flex and to fucking own it. I had some arguments on Twitter this week, and I really don't know how widespread this opinion is, with black people who are basically saying we shouldn't invest in the stock market. It's just for rich people. The the stocks go up and down merc- in a mercurial, that's the word somebody used, mercurial way. And it's too much to risk. And I'm like, that is... That is what you say. That is probably rule two or three in a book called How to Stay Poor. (laughs) If every dollar you make, you have, is a dollar that you made in your time while you're awake, you will never be rich. Unless you can play ball or rap your ass off. And even when you're rapping, the song is playing while you're sleeping. 
Right. You have to be willing and able to give some money to Tim Cook, to Elon Musk, to Jack Dorsey at Square, to whatever major companies that you have researched and that you believe in, and let them hold it for five to 10 years. Yep. And like, yeah. There will be, inevitably, there will be a recession. Ups and downs, ebbs and flows. But over a five to 10 year period, that money will grow if you pick strong leader companies and your wealth will grow. And my God, if you can hold on to something, I have Apple shares that are like 20 years old. I am so thrilled to have those. They have split multiple times. You have to invest in these great companies and let these white people work your money for you so that years from now, 70 year old me is like, thank God for the Apple shares. We're never selling that shit. We're holding on to that. You have to invest in order to have true wealth at some point in your life. Yeah, because it's investing in yourself and that, you know, those are things that I think, Younger black folks are learning now. I mean, I can say for myself, outside of 401ks, I have started to invest in the market, you know, and to to learn more, right? I wish that I had done it 10, 15, 20 years ago, but I'm here now. And so the hope then is that your kids, they are learning a major lesson now, right? So that they understand how wealth is how you actually create wealth they, and they it have really shares is of, not they through working of, they have shares of apple because i'm like oh you got a you know you got 50 dollars from your grandmother like yeah we're putting that into the market we're not just gonna spend that on a toy that you won't care about in six months we're gonna put that in the market and let it grow and you can have it you know in 10 years or something we have to do that you you have to pay yourself first Right. Yeah. I love we're now we're becoming a financial podcast. You have to pay yourself <laughs> first. Like every month, like 20% of your income has to go. And if that means you're only buying one share a month, fine. Because it's not about mm. timing the market. It's about time in the market, the length of time, five to ten years that that money is sitting in Apple, Tesla square, whatever it is that you truly believe in. Let me tell you, savings accounts, the money is eroding over time. Inflation is eating away at the value of that money. If you have a bunch of money in stock, in strong, solid companies that you believe in, that is the ultimate Flex. That is the thing that 50 or 60 or 70 year old you is sitting there like, yes, yes, it's going to be good. That chain, that BMW, those sneakers, you can't, those aren't going to be worth anything. No, it's the truth. And the thing is, is that if we are not teaching ourselves and educating each other, understand that like you can't rely on the people that oppress you to provide you with the information that are going to be the keys to your liberation. Right? Like that. I mean, that is, that is the lesson that we are learning now, right? You are relying on the people that have been oppressing you to educate you 
into liberation. And that to me is insanity. Attacking the wealth gap is perhaps the best way that we can move toward true liberation and honor our ancestors who were freed and given none of what they deserved. Thank you for listening to Democracy-ish. I'm Torre. And I'm your financial counselor, Danielle Moody. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll be back next week. We'll be back next week. Bigger and wealthier than we were last week, folks. Happy Juneteenth. Happy Juneteenth, indeed. Indeed.